It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, courtesy of The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site for real fans. It's a great mix of national voices that you already know, like Jay Glazer, Mike Sandell, Mike Lombardi, the late, great Don Banks, or for The Athletic, too, and awesome local writers. In fact, one of my buddies, Harif Hassan, covers the Vikings, and I was just reading an awesome article that he wrote about this critical offseason for the Vikings. So if you're somebody that likes coverage of your own team, Great, plenty of that, but if you're somebody that likes coverage of other teams like I do, you can get tons of great writers that cover teams besides your own, and as I said, great national writers too. And here's the best part, not only do you get first-rate reporting, but you get all kinds of great analysis, advanced analytics, in-depth player profiles, and more, and it's completely ad-free, no clickbait, just great content. Pro sports, college sports, The Athletic has it all. So if you're not subscribing yet, you're really missing out. Want to get in on the action? I got a great deal for you. Just for being a Play Like a Jet listener, you can go to theathletic.com slash overtime, all lowercase letters, and you'll get yourself 40% off a year subscription. 40%, that's a lot. Go to theathletic.com slash overtime, all lowercase letters, and get all of this fantastic sports coverage in The Athletic for 40% off today. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined for midweek with Manish by the beat reporter and columnist covering the New York Jets for the New York Daily News, Mr. Manish Mehta. Hey, Manish, how are you? How was Mobile, Alabama, sir? It was a lot colder than uh, I was hoping for. You know, you go down south in the middle of uh, January and you expect uh, a little bit warmer temperatures, but uh, it was cold, very cold. Uh, I think the coldest it's been in the decade or so that I've gone down there. But uh, a lot of good prospects down there. I mean, maybe not necessarily the cream of the crop. Most of those guys are underclassmen, or a lot of those guys are, but uh, I would suspect uh, that, you know, somebody or multiple people that I saw down there will be a Jet uh, in a couple months after the draft. Sounds like you may have some intel, and I'll let you report it in the Daily News, and once you do, we can talk about it more on the podcast. But for now, since there's no news surrounding the Jets, Let's go back in time and go to part three of our series here as we look back at the Rex Ryan era, which was the last time 
that Jets fans were truly excited, especially at the very beginning. And Manish, where we left off in part two was the player acquisitions and all the stuff that had gone down in the offseason. We discussed how Eric Mangini lost his job, Rex Ryan and the process of hiring him, all the stuff that Rex Ryan went through to get to the point where he would have Mark Sanchez as his starting quarterback, including trying to convince Brett Favre to stay, which ultimately failed and Brett Favre ended up going to Minnesota. But now we get to the beginning of the season and we're not going to do a game by game recap the way that I did with Thomas Jones. And if you want to hear that, you can go into our archives because we looked at the season through Thomas's eyes and we went game by game and bit by bit. But we're just going to hit the major highlights that would have been of note to a beat reporter at the time. The Texans game, they started the season on a high note, 24 to 7. They ended up winning that one. And here is where the parallel I thought was interesting. Mark Sanchez looked really good in that game, except for pick six. Sounds familiar, right? Because the same thing happened to Sam Darnold almost 10 years later. And then we get to game number two. And this is where I really wanted to start talking about things, Manish. Rex Ryan did something before this game that I had never seen before. I haven't seen since. I thought it was innovative and it was really, really smart to get the crowd fired up before the game Rex robocalled all the season ticket holders and basically said that the season ticket holders were his weapon. It was the only advantage that he had because he knew that they had a better coach in Belichick, a better quarterback in Tom Brady, but that the one thing the Jets had was the home crowd. And so he implored everybody to come make noise and make things very difficult for the New England Patriots. And that's what happened. And the Jets ended up winning that game. And it was the first time they beat the Patriots at home since the year 2000. So talk to me a little bit about this, Manish. What do you remember about this tactic? Because like I said, when it happened at the time, I'd never seen anything like it. And I thought it was fresh and new and exciting. Yeah, it was... uh... In an interesting approach, I think Rex in tandem with the marketing department came up with that idea. And, uh, you know, this is a, a new head coach. We already talked about, you know, that uh, that culture of confidence that he was trying to instill into the franchise with that press conference when he was officially hired. And uh, I, I like the approach. You know, he gave respect to <laughs> Bill Belichick and Tom Brady by saying that they they had the better coach and they had the better quarterback. Those two things were obvious. But at the same time, he had already said that he didn't come here to to kiss uh, Belichick's ring. So uh, it it definitely got people excited for the game. Uh, As you said, you know, winning winning that uh, season opener in Houston also helped. But everything was new and was fresh. Uh, The funny part about that game is that they looked absolutely terrible uh, in the first half, and they were losing in the first half 9-3 to before uh, Rex's defense shut out Brady in the second half, and, uh, and Mark Sanchez made you know just enough plays to, to win that game, and I remember Leon Washington and Thomas Jones uh, you know, were okay. I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head. Uh, I don't remember one of those guys really having a breakout game, but it was a nice one-two punch uh, in the backfield. And uh, it, it was a you know a memorable moment. They they really knocked around Brady. Uh, I remember being in that stadium, and it was it was so loud. Uh, there were a number of uh, well, I guess unforced errors they called in tennis, but uh, you know, delay game penalties that the Patriots had, and just a fun game, a fun moment. There were many 
more moments like that uh, for this team in the postseason, but uh, right off the jump to beat your rival uh, in your building to really stymie Tom Brady. Brady had one of his worst games in years, to be honest with you. Uh, he completed fewer than 50% of his passes, which rarely happens. And it was a, you know, a good jumping-off point. This team had an incredible first quarter of Rex Ryan's first season. They were 3-1 and one, and then obviously went to a tailspin to make things a little bit dicey toward the end of the year. But that game, led by that, <laughs> that uh, phone call, the recorded phone call to all the season ticket holders, was an interesting, smart approach. And again, when you look back at that moment in time in the franchise, they needed that uh, type of belief, that type of coach, you know, that type of tactic, frankly, to get people juiced up uh, for this new era uh, for their franchise. And then the following week, they went to 3-0, and beating the Titans at home. And at this point, Rex Ryan becomes the first Jets coach to win his first three games since Al Groh in the year 2000. And Mark Sanchez becomes the first rookie since the merger to win his first three games. And the merger happened in 1970 after the Jets had won Super Bowl three. Sanchez at this point also leading the NFL in third down passer rating, which means that he's coming up big in big spots. At this point, a lot of writers like yourself would have been gearing up for same old Jets headlines, but that's not what was going on here. It almost felt like the dawn of a new era, right? Some exciting stuff with Mark Sanchez and Rex Ryan. The Jets hadn't had a big-time coach and a big-time quarterback in forever, and here it was looking like they might actually have both. Yeah, it was funny because that 3-0 start was you know, driven by the defense for the most part, driven by the running game, and that had been you know that would be a recurring theme not only for 2009, but 2010 as well. It's not as if Sanchez was lighting it up. Uh, He was doing fairly well in moments in those games. You mentioned the third down passer rating uh, or completion percentage, whatever it was. I don't even remember that, to be honest with you. I just know that he he wasn't losing games for them. Uh, He wasn't necessarily carrying them to any of those three wins, but he wasn't losing games for them. Uh, He was taking care of the football by and large. Uh, It wasn't terrific because he had an interception in two of those three games, but uh, he wasn't killing them. And I think that what you saw that following game to end the first quarter of that season in New Orleans was unfortunately for Sanchez uh, a better representation of what we would see from him throughout his career in terms of being careless with the ball, making mistakes, having the four turnovers uh, in a loss in New Orleans. The following week, they got beat up in New Orleans, so now they were 3-1, and one, and the Jets realized they needed reinforcements. Everybody knew going into the season that they were lacking a wide receiver. Manish, we talked about how they chose to let Lavernius Coles move on, but they never really replaced him until Mike Tannenbaum did what Mike Tannenbaum does, which is got aggressive, and he called an old friend again. So for the second time since leaving the Jets and going to the Browns, Eric Mangini makes a deal with Mike Tannenbaum, and the Jets are able to get Braylon Edwards, who in 2007 had been one of the best receivers in the league, fallen off a little in 2008, and then fallen out of favor in Cleveland. And Manish, there's a backstory there that I'm going to let you talk about. But the deal comes to fruition as the Jets get Braylon Edwards. They trade Chancey Stuckey, Jason Trusnick, and a third and a fifth round pick in the 2010 NFL Draft. Again, Mike Tannenbaum showing off his aggressiveness. Again, his relationship with Eric Mangini coming into play. And again, Eric Mangini's love for his ex-players coming into play because I don't see where Jason Trusnick and Chancey Stuckey would be on anybody's wish list besides Eric Mangini at this point. So talk to me about 
what you remember about this deal coming together and the circumstances that led to it. Because if I recall, there was an incident with Braylon Edwards involving some of LeBron James's entourage that led to him falling out of favor in Cleveland. Yeah, I don't think Braylon Edwards and Eric Mangini were ever going to work. You had mentioned uh, his production on the field in uh, 2007. And look, he's a pedigree player. This was the number three pick in the 2005 draft coming out of Michigan. Uh, A lot of high expectations. He did not live up to those expectations in his first two seasons in Cleveland. And then he had that breakout season in which he had a franchise record in yardage, uh, 1289, which is actually weird to think of that – 1,289 receiving yards is a franchise record, but I guess if you're Cleveland, uh, maybe it's not altogether too surprising. But he had the 16 touchdowns, which was just a a monster number in 2007. It's a monster number in 2020, Uh, a breakout season. He really took a step backwards the following year, 2008, under 1,000 yards receiving, and the touchdowns plummeted from 16 to 3. He, He never really was a good fit for Eric Mangini, uh, Braylon, I remember talking to him, uh, hated the losing. The losing really kind of, uh, you know, affected him, impacted him. He didn't like the culture. And then uh, the circumstances prior to this trade were interesting because days before the deal was made, he did get in a barroom altercation uh, with, uh, I don't know if it was a bouncer or security guard, somebody who was a friend of LeBron James. And, uh, you know, Rex Ryan had a great inside source in that building. You know, we've discussed Eric Mangini's relationship with Mike Tannenbaum, uh, but Rex's brother, Rob, was the defensive coordinator for the Browns at the time. So if anyone could give Rex uh, the real story about what this player was all about, it would be his twin brother, right? So, uh, you know, I know that Rob and Rex uh, discussed uh, Braille in, in great detail before the deal was made. Rex felt confident that, you know, any issues he had in Cleveland, including that uh, off-the-field incident, uh, you know, just days earlier, wasn't going to be an issue moving forward uh, if he did indeed come to the Jets. So, you know, they pulled that trade off. You mentioned Chancey Stuckey. Chancey Stuckey's actually the answer to a trivia question. He's the guy who caught Mark Sanchez's first-ever touchdown in in that first game in Houston. But, But you're right. You know, the fact that Mangini knew the roster so well, he had guys that he liked, uh, helped make this deal possible because on the surface, you know, you look at a player like Braylon Edwards and you think, look, there's a lot of potential left. He had another year left on his uh, rookie contract. You got him under control for the remainder of 2009 and then 2010. You're giving up really a, you know, a journeyman receiver, a special teams guy in Jason Trusnick and uh, only one premium pick, uh, you know, two picks, but one premium pick in the first three rounds. I, you know, I think the advantage probably you would say at the time went to went to the Jets, uh, and the Jets were in an interesting spot because they were a run first, defensive dominated team. Uh, their number one wide receiver was Jericho Cotri, and if you just look at the dynamics of that, uh, for as good as uh, I thought Jericho was in terms of toughness and uh, you know leadership. Uh, I, I don't think anyone, even the biggest Jet fan, would say that he's a true number one wide receiver. So they got themselves what they believed was a true number one wide receiver for uh, a, a really discount rate <clears throat> for a number of different reasons. And uh, as you said, you know, it goes back to Mike Tannenbaum's uh, relationship with Eric Mangini, but also his aggressiveness and his 
his desire to improve at a clear weakness on this offense. So uh, I like the move at the time, uh, and Braylon you know, didn't set the world on fire uh, you know, with the Jets in 2009. He had a much better 2010, but he did make a couple key plays, one particular in the postseason that helped him out. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Braylon Edwards wasn't the superstar wide receiver that the Jets were hoping they were getting, but he did make an immediate impact catching a three-yard touchdown pass in his first game as a Jet on Monday night against the Dolphins. And Manish, I only bring this game up because there was something that happened in this game that didn't happen before in this season and wouldn't happen again in this season, and it was something that Jets fans would very rarely see, and that is the fact that Darrell Revis got beat and beat badly, burned out of his shoes by Ted Ginn for a 53-yard touchdown pass. Now, the Dolphins would end up winning this game, and the storyline coming out of this was that there were two young quarterbacks in there, Chad Henney and Mark Sanchez, One of them looked to be the better of the two, and that was Henny. And, of course, the other storyline, if you were a Jets fan, was, whoa, what happened to Revis Island? So what do you remember about the perception of the two quarterbacks coming out of this game? And what do you remember thinking when Revis got burned like that? Because I remember being absolutely stunned. Yeah, I think the Revis uh, part of that game was most surprising. Uh, I don't think anything that Sanchez did... Uh, wowed me or disappointed me, you know, in either way. Now, he only completed half his passes, 50% of his passes, 
uh, and he was okay. I really don't think he was that much different than he had been uh, in those for earlier wins. You know, he was a caretaker for the most part. Uh, he didn't lose the game for the Jets. He didn't certainly win the game for the Jets. But uh, you're right about Revis. I remember thinking, wow, this you know this rarely happens, and and this was fairly early on in in in, in the making of Darrell Revis and Revis Island. But to be honest with you, I don't even know if. Maybe the Revis Island nickname had just come about. I'm not completely sure, but uh, he was, you know, an exceptional player uh, for the prior year or so. And I, I, you know, Ted Ginn always kind of had his number. Ted, what's Ted Ginn known for? He's known for speed, mm-hmm. and and speed typically gave Revis problems. Uh, not not all the time, but you know, a lot of the time, those speed receivers, even when Darrell was younger, uh, could get him every now and then. Uh, and you can help me out on this guy because I cannot remember this guy's name, but there was a receiver in Buffalo that quote-unquote had Revis's number, even though uh, he would only get like 70, 80 yards. But 70, 80 yards it, back in those days against Earl Revis was like 150 yards against another corner. So maybe you can help me out. I can't remember his name, but there was a guy in Buffalo that had a few good games against Revis as well. But, yeah, the Ted Ginn moment uh, was really surprising to me because you didn't really see that until uh, – you know, you didn't see him getting beat repeatedly until he was a much older player. But, uh, yeah, that was a, a little bit of a surprise because Ten Gid wasn't any kind of super superstar, all-pro, mm-hmm. Pro Bowl player. But uh, he did have speed. And, and that, uh, if you were going to point to any kind of kryptonite uh, in the Darrell Revis files, uh, speed would have been it. Stevie Johnson, I believe, is the receiver you were talking right, about. Right, Stevie Johnson, exactly, yeah. He did give Darrell Revis some problems, although, like you said, problems for Darrell Revis is not the same as problems for an average cornerback because 70, 80 yards, while not great, is obviously not some sort of amazing day, but against Darrell Revis, it was always considered to be that. I want to ask you something else, too, and I remember talking to Thomas Jones about this, and you would have a different perspective being on the outside than Thomas was on the inside. At this point, there's a lot of trash talking going on. Kerry Rhodes, a former guest of this show, was doing a lot of trash talking. Chris Jenkins was doing a lot of trash talking. Damian Woody was doing a lot of trash talking. This was very different from what was going on under Eric Mangini, where everybody pretty much had a muzzle on them, right? Yeah, that was. it was like the floodgates opened. Uh, it, it was a, not only that Eric Mangini... It was no longer there, but it was that Rex was there. I think if the Jets had hired a different coach, uh, I don't know if you would have seen players be so willing to talk. So it was a combination, kind of going from one end of the spectrum to another, where you have this guy who doesn't want you to say anything, and then you go and now play for a coach who says everything and who's got loose lips and who is braggadocious and, and confident and cocky. And you saw this particular team take on the personality of uh, it, of its head coach. And you mentioned Kerry Rhodes, and Kerry actually told them, uh, my, uh, my, well, I don't know if he, yeah, well, he was my colleague at the time, yeah, Gary Myers, uh, that not only did they want to beat the Patriots in week two, but they wanted to embarrass Brady, and that got headlines. And uh, Chris Jenkins, uh you know, kind of hyped up that game, and, and Jenkins was always a guy who was never at a loss for words. He was a very confident player, too, when he was healthy. Unfortunately for him, he couldn't stay healthy that long. Uh, you mentioned Damian Woody. Antonio Cromartie had a lot of things to say back then as well. It was just a very loose, confident bunch, uh, which is unusual given that they don't didn't have that much reason to, to be super confident. Now, 
uh, I like it as a reporter. I love to go into that locker room because there were guys who weren't afraid to speak their mind. I've always said that I never have a problem with a, a player or a coach being confident in their abilities or in their team's abilities. Some people can say, well, you know, you can have egg on your face if you don't deliver, and perhaps that is true, but I personally have never held that against anyone. You know, we can't have it both ways as fans and as reporters. We can't complain and say, look, nobody says anything. They give you cliches. You don't really believe what they're saying because they're humans and they have emotions and surely they must feel differently. And, and, you know, you can't criticize that. And then when you cover or read about a player who has a lot of things to say, who has a lot of confidence in himself and his teammates, uh, if they don't deliver on what they say, you can't go back and criticize them. That's always been my approach. Now, people obviously disagree with that, but I have no problem with a person uh, having uh, inner inner confidence uh, and, and saying that they can do this or they will, will do this, and even if they haven't done it that to this point. And people say, well, well, how can you say that if you haven't accomplished anything? I, I understand that. Now, I do understand that line of thinking. I just don't subscribe to it. Uh, you know, this is a game. And I know they're multimillionaires, a lot of them. And, uh, you know, it's a billion-dollar industry. It's a multi-billion-dollar organization that they are employed by. I understand all that, and it's a business. to completely understand all of that. But, uh, you know, at the heart of it all, at the core, what are these guys doing? They're playing a game that a lot of us played growing up. And they're playing it at a much higher level, of course. But if you can't enjoy yourself, if you can't talk a little trash, uh, you know, without getting personal, if it's good-natured, if you can't boast about, you know, what you think you can do on the field, then why even bother playing? You know, I've always felt that way. And, and, and it, that's a, it's a difficult thing for players to, to do consistently because they are afraid of the backlash and the criticism if they don't deliver. Uh, you know, look, I, I'm not good enough to be a professional athlete. If I were a professional athlete, I would take that approach. I would say what I felt, and, and I would, you know, gladly, quote-unquote, suffer the consequences if I came up short. Because who cares? You know, at the end of the day, it's a football game. It's a sport. It's it's supposed to be fun. And if you're talking and that makes you, you know, enjoy yourself, again, if you don't, as long as you don't cross the line and make things personal with the opponent, then then go for it. And, you know, I, I, you know, we, you know, we've been talking about Braylon Edwards. One of the good stories I have about Braylon and one of the maybe not-so-good stories is that, you know, first the not-so-good he was very sensitive to things that were written about him. I never quite understood that, um, only because uh, you know he was a, a really good player. Maybe, you know, maybe he wasn't the superstar that people anticipated coming out of Michigan, but he was a very good player. He's a very productive player, especially when he was with the Jets. Uh, again, he didn't light the world on fire, but he was a very good player and an important player to winning teams. And he was you know, ultra sensitive. I don't, I don't quite understand why, and probably never will. He was ultra-sensitive when things were written about him that he didn't like, and he wouldn't say that he read everything, but based on the conversations you had with him, you would know that he read everything, or at least that he got debriefed pretty in, in great detail. Uh, I, I personally think he read everything, but uh, you know, that was something that I didn't quite understand. Uh, another Braylon story, which sticks with me, and it will stick with me forever, is that I remember going around the locker room one day, we're doing a survey, talking to players about who the most underrated, overrated players in the league are. And I, I, I don't remember if this was in 2009 or 2010, but I, you know, I came up to Braylon and we were talking 
and I asked him who he thought the most underrated player in the NFL was. I'm sorry, the most overrated player in the NFL was. And he says, without hesitation, Tom Brady. Mm. To which I started laughing, and I, and I don't remember how many Super Bowls Brady had at the time, but clearly you know, he was an accomplished player uh, with many rings. And, uh, and he was adamant, and he said, man, I'm telling you, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it was, it was something to this effect. Man, I am telling you, it's the system. He's a product of the system. <laughs> and remember now, this is back in 2009, 2010, and you know, he went on to win multiple Super Bowls, go to multiple Super Bowls since that point, and, and I think by every objective measure is the best quarterback in the history of football. But the, even back then, uh, Braylon Edwards thought that Tom Brady was a product of the system, and that was almost, you know, it was Michigan on Michigan crime right there because obviously Tom Brady went to Michigan as well. And uh, I just remember having that conversation, walking away laughing and, uh, and thinking uh, even back then that uh, you know, Braylon was wrong on that one. And I think it's fair to say that he was. That's going to wrap up part three of our look back at the Rex Ryan years with Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. We'll be back with part four next week. In the meantime, though, make sure that you're following Manish on Twitter at MMetaNYDN and reading his work over at the New York Daily News. And I hope you're listening to all the podcasts that we've been putting out all week because they have been on fire so far. On Monday, we had the latest edition of the roundtable with my buddy Dennis Wazak of the Associated Press. Not only did he give his thoughts on what the Jets did in 2019, he gave his thoughts on what they should do in 2020 and what he expects them to do in 2020. And we talked a little music too because that's what Dennis and I like to do when we get together. You know, we're both big 90s rock fans. So we talked a little bit about the grunge scene and what Dennis is listening to now. Also got into part two of the Sam Darnold project with Michael Nania. He graded on a play-by-play basis all 26 starts of Sam Darnold's career. We did the first three games of his career last week. This week we did games four through six. See the twists and turns of the rookie year of Sam Darnold. And you can compare them to Pro Football Focus and get a real feel for how they were as a whole because you have your collective memories. You may not have gone back and watched them all in total, but Michael has. He's graded every single play, and he has a really comprehensive and easy-to-understand system. So if you haven't checked that out yet, you should. Plus, we've got plenty of great podcasts coming up the rest of the week. Two more roundtables coming, including one tomorrow with Joe Caparoso. Part one of this discussion happened on the Turn on the Jets podcast today. Tomorrow we're going to get into part two, and it's going to be a roundtable discussion along the lines of what we've been doing for the 2020 offseason. Joe is going to join the show to talk about his battle plan for what he thinks the Jets should do in 2020. A little bit of draft talk, a little bit of free agency talk. We'll talk about the state of the Jets a little bit too. So it'll be a fun time all the way around. Quick reminder, if you haven't had the opportunity to subscribe to Play Like a Jet on iTunes, Or if you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time. But if you like what we're doing here on the show and you want to help out, that's an easy way. So we'd really appreciate you doing that for us. And make sure you do the same for the Turn on the Jets podcast if you haven't already. Plus, follow Joe on Twitter, at Jay Caparoso. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.